Well, I have never been... Uh, I've never been an, an inmate in a jail. Uh, I hope that doesn't surprise any of you. Uh, I have certainly visited... Uh, when we lived in Kentucky, I had an occasion uh, to visit the jail up there. As a matter of fact, took a tour of the jail when they were building a new facility up there. And then uh, many of you are aware of uh, my participation in a local jail ministry and where I would go in on uh, Friday, was Friday afternoons, more recently Friday mornings, and then since... COVID-19 became a reality, have not been able to go in the jail. It's one of the things I've missed about regular ministry. But, but uh, I know from spending time in Bible study with those inmates, I know what happens when you go to jail. Uh, there's a loss of freedom. I know I'm stating the obvious there. But there is a loss of freedom. There's a loss of choice. Uh, with my wife being out of town this weekend and my being by myself since Friday afternoon, I, I have, you know, all the choices were up to me is what I was going to eat. You know, there was no compromise, there was no discussion about what's for dinner. Uh, it was just, uh, well, you know, do I want frozen pizza or do I want to make a sandwich? Uh, you know, do I want to go to this restaurant or this restaurant over here? And so all the choices were mine. And so I know that I, and I think we would all agree, we wouldn't enjoy being captive. We would not be enjoy being in jail for any length of time. And I bring up jail this morning because we're going to look in a little while at Acts chapter 16. But in the book of Acts, jail becomes a common theme, a common thread that's going on with these apostles. These people who are evangelizing on behalf of the gospel, sharing the good news. And uh, jail is something that we see time and again. In Acts chapter 4, I'm going to read just the first four verses here of Acts 4. Just A lot of this is going to be review of what we've been looking at the past several months. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Now, Luke puts that bit of information in here because we know that uh, at Pentecost it was about 3,000. And so now he tells us that the number, and he just specifies men here. The number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Now, Peter and John are going to be released. They're not going to have to have any miraculous escape or anything like that. They're going to be released. And I think they're going to be released because they know that the group of men who have come to believe this way has grown to about 5,000. And so the Jewish leaders are a little, little nervous about there being some kind of uprising or riot because their temple guard 
uh, because the Jews had their own jail. This was not a Roman prison they were put in. The Jews had their own, their own guard at the temple, their own sort of police force. They had their own jail, but they didn't have the troops, I don't think, that could take care of an uprising, even if half of that number decided to revolt, uh, should that be the case. And so they are people who, uh, on on the side of expediency, say, "Hey, you know, we're we're not gonna we're not gonna tempt people into uh, some sort of uprising." And because the Jewish leaders like to maintain their power, and part of their deal with Rome and being able to meet at the temple and collect the temple tax was that uh, that there would be no uprisings, that everything would remain civil, and so. And so Peter and John uh, are able to be released from jail. But then we just turn the page over to Acts chapter 5. And just looking at verses 17 through 20. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. And so now, uh, now God does intervene. There is something miraculous going on here. It's not just people who have a change of heart which God certainly has the power to change the hearts of people, doesn't he, church? But now it is an angel intervening and just simply unlocking the door and saying, okay, you go on out there and you start telling people. You go on out there and you preach the truth as you know it. And so uh, we look again in Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, I'm just going to read one verse here. Uh, verse 11. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Now, that is on the occasion, if wasn't that long ago that we discussed Acts 12. That's where Peter... Uh, has, not Peter, excuse me, James, has been beheaded uh, because of Herod. And now Peter is in jail. And so everyone is, is uh, fearing that, that Peter is not long for this world. Peter himself probably fears this as well. And so uh, this is the, the, the situation where when Peter uh, gets out, he goes to the house where the people in the church are meeting. They're basically having a prayer vigil. And that's where he knocks on the door. And then Rhoda comes to the door and can't believe that it's Peter. And so she just shuts the door back and leaves him out there. It's one of those just odd things that, that happen. And, uh, but we see a constant theme, don't we, church family? That jail is becoming a reality for God's people. People who want, to, who want to do what is right are, are facing these obstacles. And what have we been saying? That obstacles create what, church? Opportunity. Yeah. Obstacles create opportunity. And so now we arrive at Acts chapter 16. I invite you to join me there. 
uh, in Acts chapter 16, it, it's not, uh, it's now not, it's not Peter now, it's Paul. And where Paul had been traveling with Barnabas, uh, he and Barnabas have separated, and so now, uh, now Paul is traveling with Silas. And uh, this is the occasion, I've preached this a couple of times in the years I've been here, but this is when there is a girl who uh, has a spirit. And uh, she's actually a slave, and, and her owners uh, use her as a fortune teller. And so that's how they've got this nice little, nice little business going, that this slave girl who has this spirit uh, is used as a fortune teller, but she knows that Paul and Silas, because what do evil spirits do throughout New Testament Scripture? They recognize the power of God, don't they? And so, and so this girl, uh, for a couple of days, is walking ahead of Paul and Silas. And she is saying, these are men of the Most High God, who can tell you how to be saved. Now I got to tell you, if any of y'all want to volunteer to go on ahead of me around town, and just like I'm going to lunch at Snappy's or something, or you know, you want to walk in and says, here comes a servant of the Most High God, he can tell you how to be saved, you know, I'll let you. Uh, you know, I'll put, a, I'll put a sign-up sheet out on the table in the foyer, right, in the lobby, and y'all can sign up, take turns, being the person who goes before the preacher saying, here comes a servant of the Most High God, he can tell you how to be saved. And of course, but Paul, after a couple of days, has had all that he can take. And I've always found this to be kind of humorous too because it's like, why didn't he cast out the Spirit on day one? You know, why didn't he cast it out once he realized what was going on? He waited until he had kind of had a gut full of it, until it became so annoying that he just turns around and says, by the power of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And of course, what happens because the apostles were given the power that Jesus had. They had the power to heal. They had the power to cast out demons. And so, and so yeah, Paul is successful. And then the girl's owners, the slave girl's owners, are now upset. Right? Because let's face it, when you get into somebody's pocket, they're generally not happy about that. And so... And so, uh, uh, sorry, lost my thought there. But uh, at this point then, uh, they're upset with Paul and Silas, and they incite other people, and so now they end up getting put in a Roman jail uh, because they are causing upheaval. And if there's anything Rome did not like, it was any kind of protests, any kind of upheaval. And so now Paul and Silas find themselves in a Roman jail. Uh, Verse 22 of Acts 16, The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. 
About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. And I love that. I've always loved that. It's midnight, Paul and Silas are praying and singing, and what are the other prisoners doing? They're listening to them. Because obstacles create opportunity. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. Now if you wonder why the jailer has this reaction... Go back and read in Acts 12 what happens to the jailer when prisoners escape. And so uh, it, it, it fell on them and the penalty for them was death. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the words of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were what, church, if you're following along? Baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Now, I'm going to bring up this point. It's not the main point I want to bring out of today's message, but but once again, because we've seen this all through the book of Acts, no one here says, well, just ask Jesus into your heart. No one here says, well, you're already a Christian, but be baptized because that's what makes you a part, a member of our church. That's not what Scripture says. And to the churches that teach that, I love them, but I disagree with them. And I don't think on this issue they're not being true to God's Word. Uh, And, and this comes from a place of, of people wanting to argue with me about baptism. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I know a number of you were taught that baptism is done out of obedience. It's your first act of obedience upon confessing that Christ is Lord. And I question anyone who is physically capable of being baptized why they would not be baptized. Because what I get a sense of is, well, I don't want to be obedient. And this goes back to what I said at the opening, that people like their freedom, don't they? And so when someone says, well, yes, uh, Jesus is my Savior, but I don't think baptism is necessary. What I hear them saying is, yes, yeah, yes, Jesus, I want Jesus to be my Savior, but I'm not willing for Him to be Lord of my life. Because I want to be Lord of my life. And that's a dangerous place to be. When someone is filled with such stubbornness 
that they're going to ignore what Holy Scripture teaches over and over and over again. In the book of Acts, we see it here, a whole household. We saw it back in Acts 10 with Cornelius and his whole household that people are coming to Jesus, but they are being baptized in the process. Now, we go back to this idea about jail because what happens next is verse 35 when it was daylight the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order release those men the jailer told Paul the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released now you can leave go in peace and that's when Paul and Silas raise a bit of a ruckus because they say oh by the way we're Roman citizens and you beat us without any kind of a trial and of course, that's when they became really nervous because they had denied Roman citizens their rights. But I say that as an aside because what we see here is this common theme of jail. And we might ask, well, what's the big deal about jail? Because we're not thrown in jail today. I wonder if in some of our lifetimes, will we? Will that be will that be the penalty of speaking publicly about Jesus? I don't know. I don't know. I sure hope that I for one am not going to withhold the truth of the gospel just because it might land me in jail. I hope it never comes to that in our lifetime. But if it does, as someone who tries really hard to practice what he preaches, I'm going to remember that obstacles create opportunities. And I'm going to try to do whatever I can to serve God as an inmate in that jail as much as I do on the outside. But the reality is, and I say this uh, a day or two days after uh, the Recovery Coalition... Uh, sent someone else into a long-term rehab facility. This is from an article in, uh, in the Christian Chronicle from back in January. It was a Church of Christ preacher's wife who was dealing with alcoholism. And she was in denial for a long time about her drinking. And then when it got to the point that it was about to cost her, her marriage, her family, all the people she loved dearly. Because that's something else that prison does to a person. It not only takes away their freedom, it not only takes away their ability to make choices, but it takes away the people they love. Because prison causes separation. But the reality is there are lots of people, lots of Christians who are in prisons without actually being inmates in a jail. And she writes these words. Addiction has many faces. Binge watching Netflix, compulsive eating, pornography, overspending, gambling, captivations with work, and success. 
All addictions begin with lies that separate us from an open and honest relationship with God. And church family, that is absolutely true. That we have our addictions and we have our idols. We have, sometimes it's people who work themselves to death. And they can say all day long, I'm doing this for my family. All the while their family just wishes that that parent were home, able to spend some time with them. Or whatever that might look like. But it starts out typically as something that seems harmless. Something that is absolutely innocent. And then it slowly, slowly, slowly takes over someone's life. To the point that that person is in a prison of their own doing. Now, Jesus died on a cross so that we would not be slaves, not be captive to our own sin. But church family, there are Christians every single day that are captives to some type of addiction or some type of sin going on in their lives. And I tell you that God is in the business of releasing captives. You go all the way back to the Exodus when he heard the cries of his people. And he arranges for his people to be led out of captivity. And then you look more recently at the book of Acts. One, two, three, four now. We're not even done with the book. We're just over the halfway point. And we've seen four different examples of God's servants being put in jail. But what does God do every time? Whether it's through an earthquake, whether it's through changing the hearts of the people that hold them captive, whether it's through an angel coming and opening the door, But every single time, God releases His captives. And so I tell you this morning, that if you find yourself, or if someone you love finds themselves, in a self-created prison of addiction or sin, and again, addictions are not always those things that people can know about. It's not always drugs and alcohol. There are other addictions that separate us from God and separate us from the people we love. Whatever that addiction is, whatever you or someone you care about might be captive to, God is powerful enough to overcome that prison. God is powerful enough to overcome that Addiction, that sinfulness. God is in the business of letting His people go free. Let's never lose sight of that. Whatever it is that might have you hurting right now, God can release you 
from that. The last thing I want to look at today is Psalm, excuse me, uh, Isaiah uh, 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn. If you are with us this morning and you have not yet made the decision to give your life to Christ, then baptism is available this morning. God's saving grace is free for the taking. And you can be free from the bondage of sin once and for all. And if you're with us this morning and you know what it's like to be a slave to something, you know what it's like to be captive to something because you let something in your life get out of control, then the invitation is for you to come and let us pray with you about that. Let's stand and sing. Redeem.